0: hey everybody and welcome once again to the panelized prefab kit home building show with me in the studio in his usual seat is the president and founder of landmark home and land company a company which has been helping people build their new homes where they want exactly as they want across the nation and worldwide for what 25 years now since 1993 and that'd be mr steve tuma steve say hello to the listeners if you would
1: hello home world <laughs>
0: <laughs> panelized home building world yeah uh, uh we um we've been having some fun with the last couple of uh podcasts the last few and i wanted to kind of uh get back on um you, you know sort of on track as as far as uh, just talking about some real basic uh problems uh issues that people come up when uh when building and basically just kind of go over what i i believe you know a lot of customers just have these questions that that uh landmark uh, is is fully qualified to answer so if you're ready i'm ready yeah let's do it so i'd like to uh some a couple of things i've written down one of them we we haven't talked a lot in fact hardly any of in all these podcasts uh about uh landscape design and how important that is to, you know, the health of the house in general. I mean, obviously, uh landscape designing, um lawns, gardens, things like that, they 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 should um be for more than just, you know, uh putting plants in. There should be uh in my opinion, there's got to be another uh sort of reason why you might choose certain um uh, certain landscaping over another. Can we get into that a little bit? Yeah, it's
1: it's it's really interesting because I think when you talk about landscaping, people are like, oh, where do I put my petunias? Where are the tulips? <laughs> right. Where's my pine tree? Where's right. where's this? Where's that? And uh there there's actually deeper reasons for landscaping. It's not just the beautification of the area. Mm-hmm. But you got to watch a lot of landscaping. I, I think all of us have heard about all the fires in Colorado, the West Coast, and mm-hmm. Canada, ev- everywhere. And these fires are getting bigger and bigger. So a lot of landscaping is a design to make sure that emergency vehicles and and the emergency personnel can get to your house. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you don't want to build a house in a big forest that's prone to fires and just have. A hedge row all the way around it, so no one can get to your house. <laughs> right. So a fireman couldn't get up there. So in a lot of those places, there's a abatement procedure showing that you've got to have a certain distance between bushes. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't have certain plants or certain boulders, you know, so that a fireman's got to you know rock climb to get over your house. Sure. So in in some of those areas, we're able to work with people on the landscape design or site planning to make sure that the house conforms with the requirements for that area because it's it's an innocent situation that people don't realize It might be like hey i want to put a row of apple trees across my front yard won't Mm -hmm. it be beautiful or you know the cherry trees with all the blossoms in spring well if it stops the ability for people to get to your house it it could be a an an issue Mm -hmm. so of course that doesn't apply everywhere but everywhere you know the the big forest fires is what i meant by that but Mm there you still want to make sure that that people can get to your house, um, in the case of emergency, mm-hmm. and and another thing that people uh, don't always look at is is how your landscaping affects your drainage. All right, yeah. So so if you take a house, let's just say you had a house and you had a backyard and you just wanted the ultimate barbecue spot, you know, an area for, you know, where you're gonna put cement down and different details and have cement around a pool so it's easy for people to walk in, you know, they're not walking across gravel or dirt, you know, in front of the house. Sometimes people don't always realize that water doesn't go through cement. It rolls across cement until there's a point where it can drain. Mm -hmm. So sometimes what happens is by someone putting a lot of cement, say, around a pool, suddenly there's an increased water flow across their property or into a neighbor's property. Oh, right, yeah. So there's a lot of situations where um, people might want to consider that, and we can help them with the designs to make sure that they don't create an issue where they flood a neighbor's lot or they flood a different part of their, their yard. Um, and, you know, there's bigger storms everywhere, so more more water's there. So it's an important thing to, to take a look at that. Now, if you're out and building on 50 acres and, you know, you're, you're kind of out there and only house on the property it typically isn't as big of a concern you know for drainage issues Mm -hmm. but it is something that you want to consider because you don't want to have a walkout basement in the in a ravine Mm -hmm. you know just different details i mean you can do it take advantage of it but you've got to design things certain ways to make sure that water doesn't enter the house Mm -hmm. and and you also want it to be safe you know you don't you don't want to have a walkout basement have a two-foot drop down a cliff (laughs) so you know, there's uh, there, there's a lot of details, and again, it, the ninety nine out of a hundred people, you say, hey, let's work on your landscape plan, and they're they're thinking about where they're going to put their petunias and tulips. Right. They're right. not thinking of that. It's kind of water flow, it's access for emergency vehicles and stuff to make sure that it's uh,
0: that that it's taken uh, that it's taken care of properly. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a there was something that came up um, in an earlier podcast that I wanted to to revisit uh let, let's say cuz we talk about building on slopes and hills and you know things like that but how do i make a decision like i, I let's say i buy a a plot of land and i'm building on the, on the side of this hill is it better to to actually uh figure out a way to build on that slope uh or should i actually cut into the hill make a pad and the, and have the house sort of sit into the hill what how how do i make decisions like that well that's a pretty interesting situation
1: because um, you know, a few years ago, you, you'd hear about landslides, mm-hmm. where houses that have been places for 40 years, nothing's ever gone, and then when big rain comes along, and suddenly there's a landslide, and a couple houses are on it. Some sure. of these houses go skating down the side of a hill. So, as the code people and engineers look at this, they realize that certain things have to happen. Mm-hmm. So, in some situations, there's there's certain calculations that depend on the slope of the hill and if it's better to have the house kind of crawl down the hill or if it's better to cut into the hill and create a flat pad and then like a retaining wall holding the part of of the, the wall there. It really is project by project because it's not just how is the house going to sit properly it's how are you going to have proper access you know driveway access a lot of places, they don't just want to know you have a driveway. They want to know a fire truck mm-hmm. or emergency vehicle can get in there and also return. So that's that's when it's good for us to uh, work with a civil engineer and the structural engineer and have a conversation on, on the best approach. In general, it's cheaper to build on a flat pad than it is on the side of a hill. Mm-hmm. But a lot of this really depends on the soil conditions, uh, the, the local scenarios and code applications as well as as the house design sure so there there's a we've even done some houses that project over and kind of cantilever over and have like piers su- supporting the the house below so like malibu
0: a, malibu california case in point right now
1: some <laughs> of those can get pretty expensive right so it's it's something we you, you've really got to look at the budget, and sometimes that's a deciding factor. If someone's got a little bit higher budget and being higher up a hill creates for the ultimate view, maybe it makes sense. But, uh, you know, depending on where you're at, it would matter. So you bring up the situation. The, the, that decision will also vary in different places. It's different of what people consider a hill to be. Mm-hmm. I've I've seen people call 5,000-foot mountains hills just because it's a local thing. And then I've, I've seen in other places where there's this rolling Hill that goes up 12 feet. And <laughs> some people say, Oh, look at that mountain, Right? you know? So sometimes you can use that to your advantage. So in the case where there's, you know, a rise of five, 10, 15 feet, you might be able to put a lookout or a walkout basement, enhancing the use of, of the home for that particular piece of land. Mm-hmm. So it is a good thing to, to review. Um, Sometimes you can just send us pictures and we can look at it and give guidance. Some other times you need a civil engineer to go in and and really figure out the way to do it. The civil engineer is in more areas where there's more sophisticated building departments and more complex building and and like true mountains. Mm -hmm. Um, But in in places where it's like rolling hills like the Midwest or South might have, you can generally just... uh, you know figure out how to how to put a a pad there or or have a walkout basement or whatever it may be mm-hmm. to uh to to adjust it but that that's a really interesting situation because this is kind of one of these little hidden situations that it can really affect the cost of your home I so it's so it's a good idea to have an understanding of of how to best use your land if you've got one of those more challenging uh, situations of building on the side of a hill Um, there's also other things that come into it. A lot of people will go through and say, oh, my house will fit on the side of the hill. Well, if you're in an area with septic, you also need to know that your septic will
0: work. Oh, right. Yeah.
1: So you got to make sure like your driveway will work. Your septic will work. You can work in all the setbacks and different details. So Mm -hmm. it's something that's easy to overcome with the right information. And that's why we say if it's more of an extreme situation, get a civil engineer. Most places where it's more extreme, the building department will dictate a, a grading plan. Right
0: well we're talking about pads and there's a question i always wanted to ask you and i haven't because we talk about pouring foundations and building a house on it and have them fit the design what if i find a piece of property and let's say i want to just destroy the house that's on it call landmark and design a house um but there's already an existing foundation there um what's involved there well, that's that's interesting because those projects
1: come up. We've done quite a few of them, mm-hmm. and sometimes existing foundations are there because people just stop building. Sometimes they're there because people are demolishing an old home, or in the case of the burn situations, um, they. Oh yeah, did they? They that. might, you know, for insurance reasons and codes and mm-hmm. building department, they may have to build on that exact same footprint. Oh, right, yeah, of course. That 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 they had, so. Existing foundations can be tricky because we've had people go through and they say that they bought a a farmhouse from 1890 and they want to use the existing foundation. Well, the chances of that foundation passing code are probably zero, Mm. you know, unless Mm -hmm. they just happen to build some super sophisticated foundation. But there's also the approval by the building department and... Then there's some also common sense. Mm -hmm. So someone might go through and say, hey, I'm going to build this half million dollar home and I want to use this 1950 foundation. Even if the building department says it's good, you might want to wonder, hey, is it still square? Is it still level? Mm -hmm. What is the footer like? We had that on the East Coast in uh, Charlotte where there was an old foundation. The building department requested a check. There weren't
0: footers. There weren't. They just weren't there.
1: Right. They just had a wall going down. So right. an, eight, eight, an 8 foot poured concrete wall going straight down without footers. So mm-hmm. initially, upon looking at it, you say, "Hey, that that looks like a foundation. It's been there for a hundred years, mm-hmm. or, or even if it's twenty years, mm-hmm. you don't know to the standard that it was built." So a lot of this, the building department will send someone out, or they'll ask you to get a builder or a, an engineer to review to see if it's viable. Mm -hmm. Um, Little complications can come into it, but we understand what those complications are. So we can do it. We're we're working on a project like that right now where the building department says, hey, the foundation's great, you can go use it. But the particular home that they had needed a post in the middle. It was a chalet design. So this post had to go from the foundation going all the way up to the, the ridge beam to carry a load. The problem is we didn't know if there was a footer underneath the cement slab in the basement Mm -hmm. to support the point load of this post. It showed on the original plans that were approved that it's there, but it didn't show dimensions as to where it was or what size. So do you assume that it's kind of centered Mm -hmm. or do you think that maybe they just didn't leave it there? So what we did is the customer verified the perimeter walls We redesigned the roof system and the floor system so that all the weights were carried to the exterior wall of the house. We didn't have to have posts. So now we ended up with a chalet with a clear span in it so that the living rooms and all these different situations were wide open. And it actually ended up being more usable.
0: That's interesting. That's, That's something.
1: Yeah. So... Sometimes these, you know, getting in an awkward situation of what is this foundation <laughs> allows you to turn that situation into a, a, a very unique home. Now, the key to that is we have the designers, the structural engineers, the knowledge, and also the desire to help people in those situations. Because a lot of people that come with those foundations, some of times they've just bought it. It's at a lake. They've always wanted to do it. And there was a special deal on this property. Mm-hmm. Others, it's been in the family. You know, Grandpa put the foundation in, but for whatever reason, he they never built the house. Mm, so it. there's personal attachments to these. So it's it's
0: pretty cool to be able to go through and take this and continue on with the family's dreams. Right. <laughs> Necessity can be the mother of invention, they're right. <laughs> so let's talk about something, uh, something we haven't hit too much on in the past. And uh, that's uh, all this new smart home technology um how can how does landmark fit into that and uh and what are you guys doing about people who are looking for that kind of home well
1: the smart home technologies are becoming more and more prevalent you know first people had these home assistants where you could say hey so-and-so what's the weather or hey so-and-so play the song Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the the basic one but a lot of people are getting into really automated houses you mm-hmm. know controlling heat flood warnings right um, different situations of opening and closing blinds and whatever it may be and some of these can be extremely basic like go to your local store buy something plug it in and have some fun with it as a hobbyist to being a few hundred thousand dollars right so what we can generally if someone's wants to design their own system we could work with them on the plans and You know, kind of the hobbyist guy could say, hey, I want to do this. I want to have this light controllable so that Mm -hmm. when I drive in the driveway, it senses my car and it knows that I want the house at this temperature and, Mm -hmm. you know, these lighting conditions with this music. And then also there's other people that work with, you know, the pros that are getting into ultra sophisticated leading edge technology. In those cases, we can go through and uh, supply CAD files or different situations so that they know exactly what works. Um, sometimes people say, "Hey, why do you, why do you need a CAD file for uh, you know where, where to put a, <laughs> a socket or a smart socket or right. something like that?" The reason being is you never know where there's a structural number that they say, "Hey, I want I want to put a TV here. Is there the right structure behind it to hold the TV?" Mm-hmm, right. Or you know different lighting situations or or, or whatever it may be. And what's interesting about this is a lot of people look at this as it's a convenience, you know, just to sit there and say, hey, I'd like to listen to this blues song and and have it play. Well, a lot of these are becoming um, accessibility and mobility issues for people that have restricted movement or eyesight or whatever it may be. So sometimes people will will have that or or they have a system... Of knowing that there's movement in a house, so let's just say you had an elderly friend or relative, there might be motion sensors in a house, so you don't have to call them every five minutes. You could just say, "Hey, there's been no motion. Let me to go check on Uncle Fred." That mm. type of stuff. So, a lot of people are are really getting getting into these technologies for the enjoyment
0: and and also for quality
1: of life issues. Right.
0: You know we've we've kind of talked about something a few times before but i don't think uh i don't think we can talk about it enough cuz i think people run into this a lot and that's you go to an area you're going to build a home in a certain location and the building department in that location just has to happens to be super picky and uh what role does a landmark play in a situation like that
1: well it's pretty interesting because a lot of people think they have the pickiest hardest building department and maybe in their area or their experience it it is Mm -hmm. but we've likely you know when we've worked with different building departments in the u.s and in europe we've likely run into situations where we've had more complex scenarios that we've already worked through oh we also have the team of people that has a lot of knowledge to understand it so a lot of times when people say oh it's picky it's because their friend did something, or someone uh-huh. that didn't keep up with the codes, um, you know, tried something and they chose not to learn what was required, so therefore they call the building department picky, right? <laughs> I would say since 1993, I've run into three what I call picky or unreasonably picky building departments. Mm-hmm. That means there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other building departments that are just wanting to make sure your house gets built right. So, so to us, we don't look at it as being picky. They just happen to ask things that make sense to no one else and, or (laughs) that they have special, you know, quote, hot buttons on on what they want. So we, we have an ability to go through and, and get the, the information. Um, One of them was in Ohio where a building department decided to ask us the allowable size of an air bubble inside of a poured concrete foundation. (laughs) Wow, that is picky. What was interesting about that is here's someone in a moderate climate asking a question that should be applied in a colder climate. Mm -hmm. So I call the guy up I say, this is interesting. Why are you asking this? He goes, "Well, I used to work way up in the north, and now that I moved, you know, to a moderate climate, uh, right. I thought it was important. I said, okay." That explains why you're asking it. It was something that in, in the winter pour, in the winter pouring of a cement, they put certain chemicals in the cement mm-hmm. so that it can cure in colder weather. Mm-hmm. And that affects it. Well, he was just asking the thing that was important to him <laughs> in a place where it didn't apply. Mm-hmm. The cool thing about it is we got the answer. Mm-hmm. And 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 we answered that. We've had other situations where people want to put synthetic grass in their their yard mm-hmm. um, for an easier to clean dog run, uh, for water savings, mm-hmm. for savings on uh, on uh, you know lawn, lawn care fees, wh- whatever it may be. This wasn't an area that involved a drainage plan. We had to document how water would pass through the synthetic grass Mm -hmm. to make sure that um, it didn't create a a flooding issue for, for a neighbor. And then the, the geotechnical engineer had to verify that there was enough of a support and flow rate for, for that to work properly. Mm. So sometimes these odd and seemingly crazy requests do have a fundamental version. It's just that not every building department asks them. Most building departments, 80% of what they ask is extremely similar. Mm. They want to know that, you know, your hallways are certain widths, your windows are egress so you can get out. They want to know that you've got energy efficient uh, heating and cooling systems. They want to know your foundation's built right. But sometimes you get to these extremes, and so far, no one's stumped us. Every mm-hmm. customer's got a, a building permit, and, and we've, we've worked through it. So uh, sometimes, even though the inspector may sound like he's being picky, the codes are, are put in place mainly for safety issues. <clears throat> and to make sure that the home is solid so that it, it stands in 10 years, 20 years, 100 years, so it doesn't devalue. The, the neighborhood, but even so, people shouldn't be concerned about their plan check person. We've been able to uh, to to work through issues to to make it happen, and and we we have the knowledge to to help people. So you're you know pe- we'll take care of our customers.
0: So what you're saying is is that um, building departments aren't necessarily trying to keep you from build your house. <laughs> no, no, it it, it it may give that impression, <clears throat> right?
1: But generally, they just want to know that it's safe. You know, mm-hmm. like there, there was a person I was talking to that wanted to do something and to, to squeeze little space, uh, an extra bedroom in a, like a bonus room area above a garage. Mm-hmm. They had this great idea to have like a, an 18 inch wide hallway. <laughs> and they said that this room would work. And I said, it's three feet. And he said, well, why is big brother telling me what to do? It's my <laughs> land. And I, I asked a question that's kind of interesting. I'm like. If I walk down that hallway, I'd probably be shoulder to shoulder. Right. So if there was an emergency where you needed medical help or get out or just yeah, good luck. Oh or yeah, or, or you happen to be walking down the hallway when your big dog is and you get stuck in there. <laughs> you know that that's the point. So even though it may not sound logical, sometimes if you think about it a little bit, there, there's a reason for it. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not an advocate of building departments taking our life over, telling us that that we want to build. But I think it is good to have a, a scenario where you know your structure is solid, the foundation solid, solid, your, your water is going to be heated properly, your cooling system is going to work properly. Because there are contractors and people out there that will go for the low bid mm-hmm. and suddenly they find out their furnace isn't big enough. strong enough or their air conditioner isn't good enough Mm -hmm. so in those cases we're able to substantiate situations to make sure that that things are are done right Mm -hmm. ultimately you don't want to spend a dollar and then later have to go back and spend more to fix it we Mm -hmm. we want to do it right the first time
0: let's talk a bit about basements now here in california basements are not really a thing but in other parts of the country they're a big thing and some people wouldn't wouldn't even think about building a house without a basement um uh, let's talk about the de- designing basements from the get-go and and how that process works well the basements
1: or the foundations are interesting and yeah generally like you say california you know the southwest it's a uh, it's a lot of slab foundations florida mm-hmm. uh, florida there's a lot of slab foundations but we're getting more and more customers wanting crawl spaces mm. so sometimes the foundation design is a result of you know, just what's customary in the area. And other times it's a result of the ground conditions. Mm -hmm. So like we talked about a slow piece of land, if you have a slow piece of land, you might be able to put a walkout basement. Suddenly your basement area becomes a little more livable instead of just an enclosed cement wall. It, there's a, a wall among one side where you can go in and out, you could have a drive under garage, you can have mm, extra right. space an in-law apartment, whatever it may be, right. So in California, we have a lot of customers that build in mountains, so they do have walkout basements. Mm-hmm. Now if that same customer was building say in a flat desert area, say like Coachella Valley or something like that, It's more likely if they're in flat land that they're they're going to be building on a slab. But if they put a little slope to the land, maybe it would be a stem wall crawl space. Mm -hmm. But I think that what you were getting at is using the basement. So just like the house I spoke about just a a few minutes ago on an existing foundation where we were able to create a floor system and a roof system where we wouldn't need posts. Mm -hmm. The idea, let's just say you had a drive under basement, you can do different things. And let's just say this house is twenty four feet wide. And on the twenty four feet side you had two garage doors where you can drive into your your your, your man cave, your garage, your mm-hmm. you know, your recreational vehicle storage, whatever it may be. Typically you'd have posts going down the middle, right at the center at the twelve foot side, and then the floor joists above would be two by tens or two by twelves spanning from the outside foundation wall. Mm-hmm to the center beam, and then from that center beam to the opposite foundation wall. So you'd have a post. So, Steve, every every guy knows, every woman as well, knows that no matter where that post is in the basement, it's in the wrong place. <laughs> if you put a pool table there, you're going to be at that shot where you're just going to win the tournament and that post is going to be there. Sure. If you're a guy that likes to do his own oil changes... That post is going to be right where (laughs) where where the jack needs to be. Right. You know, if you're building an entertainment area, that post is right in front of your sixty five inch TV. So what we're able to do when we have an understanding of this is figure out different floor systems for the floor system above that can span farther. Mm -hmm. So then, like on for example, this twenty four foot wide home, we can go with engineered i joists, so we can get rid of the posts and the beam in the middle mm-hmm. suddenly you have a 24 foot wide open area right that you can do whatever you want um we can also get into open web floor trusses that can span extended lengths 20 30 feet without huge issues mm-hmm. and within the open web floor systems you can run duct work and plumbing so it's not hanging below your floor mm. the idea being that we're talking about is the usability of this this basement so if you have an eight foot basement wall with a four foot cement slab on the floor that gives you give or take seven feet eight inches it's actually a little more with the plate but for easy math let's say it's seven feet eight inches if you have a floor joist going across there and you decide to run duct work or plumbing or whatever suddenly that duct work might hang down a foot Mm-hmm. So suddenly, your head clearance in certain areas is six feet eight inches. Right. Okay. Maybe it's in some areas, maybe it's all the way across. Well, if you could take that same ductwork and put it within a floor truss, you have that seven eight ceiling height. Got it. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of work, like we're talking about, in the upfront work of designing the home properly so that if you're going to use this basement as an additional family room, office, Workshop, you you have a a ceiling height that's advantageous for for what you do. Hmm. So that that's that's a that's an important factor, and it's easy for us to sort it out. We just have to have a conversation to figure out, hey, what are you doing with your basement? If someone says, oh, I'm just putting boxes down there at storage, that's a different story than if if you know your in-laws might move in in the future or if you're gonna you know have your hobbies of you know home theaters bike
0: repairs wood shops Mm -hmm. stained glass craft shops whatever it may be Mm. now let's uh let's move out of the basement and upstairs and um let's talk about uh uh you know kind of specialty rooms like uh like um, we had mentioned in the uh in i think our last podcast about people um uh, designing home offices and people telecommuting and and um what about things like that or like uh, uh convertible room design, you know, rooms that can become uh, two rooms, things like that. Well, that, that's,
1: that's really interesting because of what's happening, you know, with the internet and people's jobs and, and uh, gig economies and, and different hobbies and different economic situations is, is people almost need to have homes that have multi uses mm-hmm. before, you know someone might say hey i need a 3 bedroom 2 bath dining room living room kitchen it's extremely rare that someone starts talking about designing their living room it's more of a great room or mm-hmm. a gaming room or a convertible room that it's the home office but when the grandkids or guests come over right. that home office becomes that mm-hmm. so way back when people were building McMansions you say hey just put another wing on the house mm. well the The world isn't like that anymore, so people are kind of condensing the design to to have these kind of flexible areas sometimes the the different furniture works that way to to give rooms flex you know murphy beds different situations where rooms are flexed but the one that everyone will relate to is depending upon what age you are way back you probably sat down at a kitchen table or dining room table and ate dinner with the family or lunch with the family <laughs> right now they're snack bars. There's islands in kitchens, right? And things are kind of on the go more, or people's work schedules are different. Mm-hmm. It's it's a little bit of a, a more informal. So I think people will see where the dining room is kind of phasing out. The great room is phasing in. Gaming entertainment areas are coming back in as well. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're someone like most people where you've got a certain amount of money and you you this certain amount of money you've got to get a seventeen hundred square foot room home. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that family room becomes a gaming room. Sometimes that uh that third bedroom becomes an office or or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So that that's what we're able to work on on these different uh design elements. They call it universal design so that there's more flexibility in the space that you have and sometimes an individual space becomes a a multi-use situation and sometimes these multi-uses aren't necessarily just now you know if you look at as kids grow up they might need different bedrooms they might need different game rooms they might need different homework rooms there might be different hobbies so sometimes it's it's the evolution of hey the kids might be moving out, but then the parents might be moving in mm-hmm. so sometimes we got to look at the you know what's going to happen in five years and ten
0: years to to come up with a design that's that's sensible for the people right um, Something I'd like to hit upon as well is um, we're talking about you know, creating a a home environment that suits the family. What if we have a family member who's um who is uh handicapped you know someone who I need to build. Uh, a house that's uh, accessible to, to myself or my family member who happens to be in a wheelchair or uh, otherwise, you know, um, uh, handicapped in some way. Just pretty much a, a handicap-friendly house. How how uh, how difficult is that to work into the design?
1: Well, it all really depends because you, you brought something up there which is interesting. You used the word handicap-friendly. Mm-hmm. Which generally means, hey, just let's make doors three feet wide. Make sure there's a ramp to get in and in and out of the house, and mm-hmm. you know that that's good enough. And then there's other people that want to get full ADA compliance, right? The Disabilities Act, and that that can involve your whole building site. Mm. Like, can can a you no, know, I wanna... should
0: I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I should go back and fix that. I think disability is the word to use. I think that's the more proper mm-hmm. use. My my mistake. I shouldn't have said handicapped. Yeah, that the, the uh, uh, disabled friendly home is what we meant.
1: Right. And and that that can come into the site plan. So mm-hmm. if if you had a vehicle to help you maneuver, mm-hmm. that vehicle may need certain clearances to turn in for you to get out, for you to travel up a ramp. Mm-hmm. Um and a lot of people think of the disabilities of being a physical thing. Maybe we're it's a mobility restriction. It could also be a visual restriction, mm. right? You know, or diff, different things like that, or an arm, or or whatever, whatever it may be. So we are capable of going into the full ADA compliance if that's what someone chooses to do. Most people just say, "Hey, I, w- I want to know that I can get through a three foot door. That you know, my cabinets are here. That that I I can move around and take it from there. Mm -hmm. So depending upon the depth of what someone chooses to do, we could do the quote friendly where we're just doing the simple things, wide doors, easy access ramps, or you, or you can get deeper into it. You know, where do you locate electric sockets? Where do you locate light switches? Mm -hmm. So if, if someone you know, is restricted. They can access it, and uh, and I think that kind of gets back into the smart home technologies, right? Right. You know, when when someone could sit here and say, "Hey, call my mom," you mm-hmm. know, or or have a little signal go back to say, "Hey, there's movement in the house." You know, the person's likely to be okay. Mm-hmm. It 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 really really helps. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're we're capable of doing that um, to whatever degree someone would would choose to do it. Mm-hmm.
0: Before we close out today, I want to give you a chance to do something that uh, we we haven't done on the show before. I just want you to kind of give me some anecdote that you've come across that you think might be interesting uh to our listeners. Just anything that's happened in your 25-year career at Landmark.
1: The 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 weirdest thing, you know, there's always stuff that happens, you know, there's something here and a you know, someone gets a survey to find out that the, the city has a different lot record in their name, you know, <laughs> weird, weird little stuff. Or mm-hmm. they think the sewer connection's in the back of the lot, and then they find out it's at the front of the lot because something at the city wasn't recorded right or a surveyor made an issue or, mm-hmm. or whatever it was. One of the absolute weirdest ones, and it was in a rural property in the Midwest, we, we get along with our customers and we have a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And this guy's name was Gene. And he calls me up and he says, Steve, with a couple little expletives, you won't believe what <laughs> I just found in my yard. And I thought there was like a bobcat or a right. neighbor's horse is running around mm-hmm. or, you know, who, who knows what's going on. And and him and his family were doing a lot of the work. They're doing the excavation, the electric work, the roofing. They they just mm-hmm. had the family in the trades. Mm-hmm. He had a 1950 Ford buried in his yard, right Right, right where where they were digging. The entire car? There was a car. Uh It was kind of crushed. Right. But it was buried in the yard. And I say, I just hate to think that someone's going to look in that trunk <laughs> like, to bury a complete car right. so so that that's still one of those things you know weird things have happened people excavate and they find granite or this happens or that happens mm-hmm. but it, it's just one of those things that it kind of takes the cake and to think that that uh it w- it was a, a, a buried car
0: was was the story ever found out how that car got there
1: no, no, they, they owned the land for 20 or 30 years, but you know, and when, when this was the, the car would have been 10, 15 years old, but <laughs> right. no, they, they didn't know anything about it, but uh. that, that's, that's the point, you know, how, how are you going to know <laughs> that until you excavate, you know, it's not <laughs> like there's, you know, pre-excavation car searchers out there. <laughs> I guess you get a huge metal detector, but yeah. that, that, that was kind of uh what, one of the, the weirder, funnier things that's that, that, that I. A- Huh. that 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 I that I remember and it was just uh oh then another one bring bring up a uh one of the basement houses uh-huh. they the people had a basement that they had forever and they're showing it to me and they just got back from grocery shopping and uh they had this grocery bag on the counter and it was just going crazy and I couldn't figure out what it was they uh-huh. apparently left their door open and a little baby raccoon came in uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> started to just eat their cereal and throw it all over the room so yeah it's always fun there's always a story those are two of the weirder ones
0: awesome well um as as so often happens we do run out of time here on the show so i want to thank all of you for joining us again listening in on the panelized prefab kit home building show and uh as always, before we go, I want to give Steve a chance to let people know how to contact Landmark Home and Land Company.
1: I think the best way is people can look at it at any time is our website. The company name is Landmark Home and Land Company. The website is LHLC dot com. That's like L is in Landmark, H is in home, L is in land, C is in Company dot com. And uh you can peruse plans, just see different discussions on different topics, see some videos and what we can do and you can send a message through there at the email button or you can also call us at 800-830-9788 and uh, Mike will answer the phone and he can walk through the preliminary uh, phases his email is Mike at LHLC.com or you can contact me and my direct email at Landmark at lhlc.com and we're very responsive and proactive we we want to help people uh get get the right home they they work hard for their money and we want to make sure they get the best home Uh, possible right and
0: and i would encourage all all of our listeners to go to the website to go to lhlc.com there's great information on there um so many design possibilities you can't even believe and some amazing videos there's tons of videos on there um you know basically showing the process of panelized home building from a to z and if, if you're looking to get that uh that visual there's a lot on there so uh, once again we're gonna say adios for steve Tuma and myself thank you everybody for joining us on the panelized prefab kit home building show and we will see you next time
1: have a great day